to see everybody here this morning. Thank you, everyone, for getting into the spirit of the day. I know when I wrote the email or had the idea, I'm someone who hates getting dressed up. So I'm like, you know, to impose that on other people is not always fun. So I understand if you don't like doing that. Thank you for those who uh, went to a lot of effort. I hope you can take me seriously today in this. Someone said I look like Benny Hinn's love child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'll take me seriously now, won't you? (laughs) Never mind. I um, had the privilege this week of going to a, a conference and it was a group of people a bit like Cheryl and I, people that have done a church plant and they selected people from all around Australia to come together and just put our heads together and hopefully some wisdom would come out of that. It was, it was really refreshing for me personally just to hear what other people were struggling with and how blessed we've been as a church in starting something. Uh, and yet it was incredibly challenging because everybody's struggling. Everybody's struggling to do church particularly church planting because church planting is like starting from little and trying to grow something so so it's a it's a harder process but um you know people were saying if we try and build the church and we put our time and our effort and energy into this community of people we're exhausted and yet we know that unless this group of people has some impact in the community we're really not fulfilling the mandate that God wants for us so it was like you know everyone was saying we're so time poor you know we don't have enough time to do anything how are we supposed to do what God's called us to do and it was a real issue it was a real issue right across everyone's scenario they were just saying we're struggling we're struggling and uh, it was just good to hear that we're normal you know that that there's a tough scenario out there for people to reach Australian people and one of the questions that was posed at this this group was who's winning souls for Christ who's actually having an impact out there in the community and there were very few groups that were able to say yeah we're really making inroads into identifying you know building bridges into the unchurched and then getting them into the church family a lot of people were doing discipleship one-on-one in cafes or you know little bits and pieces but nobody was really having great success at bringing people into the church and getting them in solid foundations. So we wrestled with the reasons why that might be, and we came up with some um, some ways and means that we could take back to our churches and and um, yeah, try and be a little bit more effective for Christ. So coming out of that um, that time away this week, I prepared a sermon, and I got to the end of it, and I said, "I'm satisfied now, Lord. That's good. I'm ready for Sunday." And then I got up yesterday morning and the Lord said, no, I don't want you to preach that message. Would you preach something else? So I hate it when the Lord does that. All that hard work for nothing. <laughs> but what the Lord put on my heart was really good. And it's still about the heroes of faith, but it's a different hero of faith and it was for a different purpose that I want to share with you today. I want to share about a guy called Nehemiah. I don't know whether you know much about Nehemiah. We'll, we'll tell you a little bit about him. But I believe he was a man that spelt faith, R-I-S-K. Now, he was a man who took incredible risks for God. and But there's a reason why he took those risks. And I think that ties in with some of what I was wrestling with this week at this conference. He was a great man of God. And here's his story. These are the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, 
In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah in Israel with, with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and great disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And I was cupbearer to the king. So in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart, the king said. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, May I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So last week, we've made a big chronological jump down into the history of Israel to a guy called Nehemiah who was in exile. And he was a cupbearer to the king. In other words, he was the guinea pig. He would get the cup, he would fill it with wine, he would take a sip, and if it was poisoned, he would die. 
And if he didn't die, he would then hand it to the king. So it wasn't a great career move to be a cupbearer to the king. Might sound pretty, uh, pretty royal, but it wasn't. He was actually someone who could die at any point in time. And he was in this situation where in a faraway land, he heard the story of his people back in Israel, the remnant that hadn't been scattered, that had come back to Jerusalem. And it was an incredible story of despair. The city walls that were once grand, that housed you know, Solomon and the great temple were just a ruin. And he was so moved by that. He was moved to tears for days. And he was so sad, like his demeanor was so affected by the plight of his people that the king noticed it. He said, you must have sadness of heart. You're obviously not ill. Something's worrying you. And, and, and he had the, the courage and the opportunity to say, yeah, I'm saddened by the plight of my people. And this was a horrible time in Israel. They'd been a great nation and yet they'd been scattered to the ends of the earth. They, they, they were asking, where's God? Where's God? He's abandoned us. And, and Nehemiah found himself in this really pagan culture and yet he asked God to give him the opportunity to make a difference, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and restore the city that was once there. Now, anybody who's done any study of the scriptures will know that Nehemiah, Nehemiah is, is exalted as one of the greatest leaders ever because of the qualities that he displayed. Like when he heard that message about his people, he was filled with anguish in his heart. He was burdened by that and he cried and he wept and he was so moved with compassion that, that he was motivated to do something. But he didn't just talk about it, he actually set in motion a prayer to God to give him a strategy and the, and the means and the wherewithal to go back and to really do something. It took incredible courage, despite what he says was his own fear. He might ask the king boldly, if it pleases the king, can I have this and can I have that and can I do this? So he was a man of great endeavor. We know that he went back to Jerusalem that was in a mess and he rebuilt those walls in about 56 days with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. That's great leadership, willing to fight but willing to build at the same time. He motivated a whole lot of people. He brought the resources together. In terms of leadership, this man was incredible. Accomplished so much for God. He was a great administrator. He got all the people building the walls and mixing the mud and lifting the bricks and putting the hinges on the gates, and they rebuilt this city. Now, this city was significant. Jerusalem was significant in an Old Testament mindset because it was the dwelling place of God. It was the city of God. It represented the majesty of God. And so for them to rebuild the city was really like, like making it a grand place again. And that's why it was so important for him. But Nehemiah was a grassroots leader. He got down and he worked with the people and he was willing to roll up his sleeves. He put his own resources into making this happen. But he was also a very gallant and royal leader in that he got out the front and he said, come, this is the way we're going. This is what we're going to do. He took incredible risk. His expression of faith was to take the risk to do what God had burdened him with, what God had placed on his heart. And we know the great story is that he did rebuild the walls. In a very short period of time, it was a great success story. But what I felt like the Lord was saying to me this morning and why I changed the message, it was because of Nehemiah's response to what he heard about Jerusalem 
that's the most important thing. Because he was in a faraway land in probably a fairly good job, even though a risky job, and he heard from Hananiah what was happening back in his hometown, and he wept. He was so moved. He could have gone, oh, well, bad luck for those guys back there. I'm in a pretty good place. But something in his heart of hearts was crushed and broken and bruised to the point where life couldn't go on again for him normally. He couldn't just, you know, say, well, I'll get on with my life and I'll dismiss that report. He was so churned up inside, so moved by the plight of his people that that he took action in an incredible way. And I believe in when we look at all the great men and women of faith, there was a motivation in their heart that was the key to their success. Like if you and I are not motivated to build the kingdom of God, if we're not, if we're not compelled, if we're not obligated in some way, then, then we can make excuses. We, we can rationalize our way out of not responding to God. We can go, well, you know, Nehemiah could have said, well, Lord, send somebody else. Or it's not my problem. Or the problem's too big. I don't have the resources. But he didn't. He prayed and said, Lord, I don't know, but I'm willing. I'll go. And why did he do that? Because something in him was so burdened by the plight of his people that he did something. And I see those same qualities in Jesus. When Jesus came to the same city and he had that panorama where he looked over the city and he just wept. And he just said, look, if Jerusalem, if you just knew who I was and what I could offer you, you'd respond so differently. But, but he wept. He was physically moved in such a way. Like men don't cry that easily, I don't think. But, but Nehemiah cried for three days and he fasted and he prayed. He was so touched by the plight of his people. And then we can look at someone like Paul. When Paul walked through the city of Athens and he saw all the pagan idols everywhere, he was just filled with anguish. He was angry that people didn't know the truth. And it, it, it compelled him to do something about it. And he stood and he preached and he proclaimed about his God, the one true God. And I thought about today and I thought about, Lord, well, I understand now why you want me to share about this because mission is motivated by a burden on our heart. And if we're not burdened by the plight of our community, if we're not burdened by you know, the darkness in the world, if we're not somehow affected then there's no reason to respond. You, can, you, you don't even engage in the wrestle of why I should go or why I should be engaged in any way, shape or form with extending the kingdom of God or sharing the gospel or reaching my neighbor or going to Fiji or Finland. I don't think the where is that important. It's whether or not we've got the mindset that will respond but I think the mindset is dictated by the heart. Nehemiah was obviously very moved. When we hear about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, the, the actual Greek interpretation of that was he was sick to his stomach. Like, you know, when you get really churned up and you get those butterflies in your tummy and you feel like you're going to puke? I feel like that every time I get on a plane. So beware on Thursday morning. Don't get too close to Mark. But your whole physicality is engaged in what you see as a great need. So mission is born out of compulsion. 
It's born out of a duress on your heart. Like, you know, you often hear of people that God burdens for a particular country. We have a, a, a lady that we know called Michelle, and, and she was called to a place called Rabinsk, which is up near um, the top part of Russia in a really horrible place. And it's the place where they dump the military submarines, all the, the radioactive submarines, and they just sit them there to rot. And so all the radiation leaches into the waterways. And she said when you go for a walk at night time, you can see the fish glowing in the river because of the radioactivity. And she said if you look at all the, the birth defects and the sickness in that community, it's unbelievable what has happened. When you hear this lady talk about her people, she's an Aussie, but she longs to be with those people in Russia. She just is so burdened by them. And she's a very sick lady. She spends nine months of the year in hospital, but the three-month window where she's well enough to go, we're not talking a lady who's a little bit sick. We're talking about a lady who's riddled with cancer, who's got no, you know, no muscle left between her, her vertebrae anymore. She's in agony. And yet she still goes back to Russia every year to those kids and the orphanages that she started and the churches that she's been involved in, in freezing cold weather, minus 30 degrees. She gets taken into prisons and interrogated, but she is so compelled to go. And I ask myself, why? What, what does that to somebody? That they would put their own well-being to the side and go, the gospel is far greater than me. It's got to be God touching someone. It's got to be his mandate on someone's life. It's got to be his hand upon them that moves them to respond that way. We, I think we need to be burdened with a sense of urgency. When I sat with some of the guys this week, that, that their model of church is to reach you know, the average Aussie guy. I mean, these, these guys are grown men with degrees, MBAs. Yet they were broken by the frustration and the inability to be able to communicate the gospel. It's great. It was so encouraging to see men that were so weighted down in the right sort of way by the need. And by seeing the need and feeling the need, they were doing everything in their power to make sure they did their best to build a bridge to those men. Some of them had resigned from their churches and were just meeting guys in cafes, just one-on-one, -on -one, guys covered in tattoos, lives were a mess, families were falling apart, but that was their mission field. And they'd given up, you know, being a pastor in a big church because they felt the need. They felt the urgency to be there. And, uh, you know, we really wrestled with this this week. Why is mission something that's dying? And it's because I don't think we've got the burden anymore. You know, it's, it, it's, it's easy to say it. It's hard to get it. You know, we, how do we get the burden? <laughs> you know, we've got to be open to what God's calling us to do. And we've got to be burdened for the plight of our people. So what mission has God put in your heart? Because if God is a God of mission and we are his people, his children, then to me it's logical that God's going to say, well, Matt, I've got a mission for you. Here it is. And I've got a mission for you, Jenny, and I've got one for you, Tabitha, and I've got one for you, John, and I've got one for you, Nikki. We're all going to have something that God puts on our heart to do. We don't have to worry about what everyone else does. We've just got to respond to what God burdens on our heart. 
And what God's burdened me with is to make the church what it should be. That's my burden because I want church to be a place where there is love and where there's the full counsel of God. Why? Because the people that are needy and broken out there need a community to come into where it undoes all the baggage that they have and brings them to a place where there's love, acceptance, forgiveness. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is manifest in community. If we don't have that community, what do we bring them into? How do we teach them how to do community the right way? Church is not going to an entertainment session on a Sunday morning for two hours and going home and saying, well, that was great for me. And what came out of our meeting this week is that leaders need to stand up and say, no, that's not church anymore. We've got to have the courage to say it's deeper than that. It's more than that. It's about relationship. It's about getting on our knees and being authentic before God and authentic with one another and building a community that when we reach out to people and we bring them in or we connect them with this community, they go, what? Look at these people. Look how they love one another. Look how they support one another. The presence of God is there. There's something different about them. And we've got to make that happen. But we've got to let that community impact and impose on the community out there and as we cross over surely if we are the light of the world if we are the salt if we are you know the fragrance of christ if surely if this community touches this community if god's working on people surely they will respond surely they'll be drawn to the light surely there'll be some crossover you know if i hang around with noel if you hang around with noel he's a great aussie guy right I'm sure all the guys that hang around Noel at work know he's different. The language he uses, the attitude that he has, his work ethic. I'm sure that if you hang around Noel, sooner or later, blokes go, hey, Noel, there's something different about you. What is it? And he's earned the right then to share his faith, to be part of their life. And that was the challenge we came up with. And the question was posed to us as a group, when was the last time you were moved to tears by the plight of lost people and everybody's head sort of went down and like oh, yeah <laughs> but that was the motivation that motivated Nehemiah the, the engagement in his heart this was a quote that we looked at last during the week I think it was um, a quote from Wimber actually the Christian church has become chronically anxious always looking for personal safety and security, the exact opposite of faith. Instead of being intentionally adventurous, looking more to the needs of others than our own. Great quote, great statement. You know, when you go and talk to people in churches, it's all about their needs. And church has to meet, you know, what they say is my needs, my family needs, my personal needs. But that's not the church. Church is not something you go and get from. It's something you go and give to, to create the community. And you guys, we are the sum of all the parts. So if Bron brings to this community her love and her grace and, and the best that she can be, and then... The next person brings the best and the next person brings the best. Then the collective sum of that community is something wonderful, isn't it? But if only some of that community are contributing, if only some of that community are totally committed, then there's a divide. And what we 
went away from this group this week was to challenge our churches to give you all to this community because it's the hope. It's the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. This community, the kingdom of God manifest in the church. We are the called out ones. We are supposed to be separate. We are supposed to be unlike anything the world has to offer so that when the world sees the church, they go, hmm, yep, I need to make a change in my life. The encounter or the interaction that the people of the world have with Christian people should be radically different. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We should not be ashamed of having a church where we exalt God and we proclaim the truth of the gospel and we are 100% for Christ because this is the community where that should manifest most. But then there's an obligation for this community to be impacting the world because Jesus said, go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. We have this... I guess it's called the ministry of reconciliation. That's how Paul described it in Corinthians, that the Lord has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are are the witness that God is real. We are the witness that Christianity works. We are the witness that God is a God of power. And that his presence in us does make a difference. We're the example and we're called to this ministry of reconciliation. We come here and and we are reconciled to Christ and we rebuild what it means to be in community. But then that community has a witness to the world. And and our task, our mandate is to reconcile people who are lost to come into this community and experience Christ. The love of Christ. The power of Christ. Christ. In this community. So, in a sense, we're like Nehemiah. We're moved by the plight of the lost and we go and we try and rebuild. Now, we're not rebuilding tangible walls, we're rebuilding broken lives. We're rebuilding shattered families, marriages that are destructive, behaviors that are just, you know, full of sin. And But, but it's our mandate to go and to be a witness and to rebuild and to restore and to bring revival, to bring revival to this nation. You know, when Nehemiah was talking, he said, let us rise up and build. And I believe that's the word for us as a community today. Let us rise up as a community and let us build something. Not a church building, not a program. Let us collectively build something that is going to build stepping stones or bridges to the lost in our community. Okay, It has to be something that we can all do has to be something that, that, that Mark can do, that Noel can do, that Brad can do, that we can all do. It's not a matter of giftedness. It's a matter of, of our heart saying there's a need. I'm going to respond to the need. So I want to call this the Nehemiah Project. And what we're going to do is we're going to reclaim one relationship at a time. Together we build the church and we build community by reaching out outside our church circle to people in our community. And this is how I want it to work. I want every one of us to commit to having a barbecue or a party or some sort of an event at your home that's fairly low-key, but it's just in your home. And you invite the people around you, your neighbours or somebody that you know lives in that general area and just invite them over for a meal and invite one other Christian family to join you. 
It's not a Bible bashing exercise. You don't have to preach the gospel. Just do relationship. Because I believe that if I hung out with Brett and Nikki and I watched them and I observed them, I would be drawn to what they have. Does that make sense? And if I hang around with Noel and his family, surely when I observe them and watch them, there's an exchange. And I believe if we put non-Christian people with Christian people, we don't have to do a lot. We just have to be who we are. We don't have to be evangelists. We don't have to get out the Romans road and, you know, preach to them. That time will come. We just have to be in relationship with people outside the church in an intentional way, but in a very simplistic way. And I believe like if Matt and Tanya have a barbecue and they invite some of their non-Christian neighbours around and they invite somebody else over, someone will go, this is great. We're in a great time. We should do this again. Let's do it again at your place. In a couple of weeks' time, relationship will build. Needs will emerge. Opportunity will arise. There'll be a deepening of that relationship. Across the road from our place is a guy called Singh. He's, uh, he's an Indian guy. And Cheryl's met his wife and I see Singh out the front all the time and saw him the other day and I said, oh, where are you off to, Singh? He said, oh, I'm just going up to the pub to have a few beers. He said, I do that every day. And I said, oh, we should get together and have a beer sometime. He said, I'd love to do that. He said, I'm so lonely. Don't have much fellowship. Open door. So simple. Invite them over. Just be who you are. Surely if Joe and Chris, you've got new neighbours, I've heard you talking about your neighbours, have a party. You guys love celebrating. And bring another Christian family you love celebrating too. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be an evangelist. Just build relationships. But we've got to be burdened enough to go, that's a priority. You know what I mean? Like, I think the days are over where we take tracks in our hand and we go down to Danny Nong Station and we go, you've got to come to Christ. That, that's probably more an evangelist, evangelist task and responsibility. But we're not all evangelists. We're all witnesses. And we can all have people in our home. And we can all be hospitable. And we can all build relationship. And out of that relationship, surely there will be a plethora of things that we can respond to people that are sick, people that have needs. And I just believe it's just such a simple strategy. But we just don't do it because we're too busy. So I want to encourage you. I'm not going to push this in any way. Like I'm not going to make you sign some form or I just want you to start it. So John and Laura, pick a date, invite someone over, be intentional, do it. And each one of us, if we, if we take on the commitment to do that, then we will have this network building of all these people, and we'll be rebuilding relationship. We'll be teaching people what it means to be in community. And I just believe God will honour it. He will honour it. You might want to get together and pray before they come that God will just make it a great time. But, you know, you don't have to go super spiritual. You, know, you don't have to leave Bibles lying around. You are the ambassadors. You are the fragrance of Christ. You know, when we go to Fiji this week, Fijians smell. Did you know that? They have a peculiar smell. And the Indian people have peculiar smells as well. But Christians have a smell. They do. You have a smell. You have a fragrance, a fragrance of Christ. And people will either go, that smells good. Or they'll go, that smells terrible to me. Because who you are, what you stand for, what you represent, you are an ambassador of King Jesus. 
And some people are being drawn by God. The scripture says, unless the Father draws them, no man could come. God is working. The Spirit of God is working in our community. The problem is there's a disconnect between their lostness and the church over here. And we've got to build the bridge. And it's not come to church on Sunday. This is alien. They're not ready for that. We've got to go and meet them on their turf and just build relationship. It'll happen naturally. I promise you it will. Because God will honour what you do. So we want to start the Nehemiah project. Let's reclaim one relationship at a time. Be courageous. Go and talk to your neighbours. It was interesting. Simon and Trent and I were sitting at McDonald's a couple of weeks ago. And Trent said to me, Mark, when are we going to start doing evangelism? I said, when you go and talk to your neighbour. And he just looked at me really funny. And I said, are you waiting for us to start a program? Programs depend on relationships. You've still got to go invite someone to the program, don't you? If you don't have a relationship, well, then we could have the greatest programs in the world. There's still a disconnect. <laughs> and that's what came out of this symposium I went to this week. Everyone is struggling. How do we bridge the gap? And I just stood up and said, it's not a program. It's relationship. It's so simple because it has to be able to happen in the New Guinea highlands. It has to be able to happen in, the, in Iceland in the, with the Eskimos. It's just relationship. What are people in Australia like doing? Eating. That's the methodology. It's so simple. Just have people over for a barbecue. Go to Dave and Bronze and play tennis and have a good time. And people will go away and say, that was great hanging around those guys. And they'll want to do it again. So do it again. And introduce another family this time. And I just honestly, I love hanging around you guys. You inspire me. When I hear your stories and I, and I see your attitude, well, if it inspires me, it's going to impact other people, isn't it? Surely. The way we talk about politics, the way we talk about sport, the way that we just talk about life has to be impacting. If we're the light of the world, if we're the carriers and bearers of the gospel and the presence of God, then I just think put non-Christians with Christians and there'll be transformation. Something will happen. The doors of opportunity will open, and God will move widely. So that was sort of what came out of this week. So the moral of the story is don't send Mark away to a conference because I get a bit fired up. But it was really great to hear that everyone's struggling with this. The church has got to face this. We've got to face that we are disconnected from community. And the problem is a lot of these guys are trying to make their church like the community. No, that's a mistake. We are the called out ones. We are supposed to be manifesting God in his glory in this place. But that doesn't negate our responsibility to get out into the community. You know, when they met with the apostles every morning, the apostles preached and signs and wonders and the Lord added to their number daily. They didn't do seeker-sensitive church. They did full-on church but then they went out in the power of god and we can just invite people to our homes and the opportunity will come it certainly will i promise you let's pray father i want to thank you for for life and for this great culture that we have in australia and lord we love barbecues we love getting around and fellowshipping we love just celebrating food and lord what a great opportunity for us just to piggyback on to that by inviting people next door or down the street or in our area just to, just to come and be with us. 
And Father, I know from my time with the families here that we have wonderful families here, beautiful people, people that are generous, people that are compassionate. And I believe, God, if we put unchurched people with them, not because we have any other motivation but just to love on them, then you'll meet us in that Nehemiah project. You'll meet us as we seek to, to build relationship. And Lord, I just pray that just a grassroots opportunity will turn into many questions asked about life, many opportunities to bless, to serve, to support. Lord, the day will come when people will ask about our faith. They'll ask what we do on Sundays. They'll ask why we're different. And Lord, we'll take those opportunities with boldness. We'll just share about the goodness of God and what you've done in our lives. Lord, we're not responsible for the outcomes, but Lord, we've got to go. We've got to go and build the bridges that will step people into what we experience and what we enjoy. When I think about what we've got in this place and the community and the family and the, and the spirit that we have, I know there's people in the world that would love to experience this. To be accepted, not to be judged, but to be loved. People whose lives are just a shattered mess of broken, fractured relationships who need just love. And Lord, we can give them that. We can be a listening ear. We can be a generous handout. We can just be Jesus. So Lord, would you help us as a community to keep doing what we're doing and do it well and do it better. But Lord, help us branch out. Help us overflow. Help us infuse ourselves into our community so that there's just a very natural outworking of our faith. Lord, I want to pray today that you would help us to take the risk. Help us to spell faith R-I-S-K. I'm going to take a risk and invite my neighbor over for a barbecue. I'm going to take a risk and have a party with a purpose or whatever it might be, Father, a picnic in the park. It really doesn't matter what we do. Just help us, burden us, Lord, with the right people to reach out to. Holy Spirit, move. Move and show us who to invite. Move and show us the ones that you're already at work in. And Lord, give us the privilege as as a group of people, not just to drag other people from other churches to do a new thing a different way. But Lord, give us the privilege of seeing people that have never proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ come to salvation. Lord, to see families renewed and restored, to rebuild walls. Father, give us that privilege. Give us the keys that we might be effective in reaching the lost. So Lord, help us to do that and help us to do it simply, but do it intentionally and do it powerfully, I pray. So Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you that it's not rocket science. It's just simply going. Going and being who you've made us to be. The light of the world. The fragrance of Christ. The ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to thank you. That relationship is so important to you. You went to all sorts of people's homes. You went to Zacchaeus's house. You went to the prostitutes and you went to the sinners and the tax collectors. That's who you hung out with. Lord, teach us to do that. Teach us to reach out and be real. 
So, Father, I thank you for the challenge today. And, Lord, help us to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Jonathan.